0: Hello, Duke fans. We are back with episode 262 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It's been about, oh, 24 hours since you last heard from us. Happy Thursday. And it's a happy one because we get to recap a Duke victory. Before we get into all that, I'm Donald Wine, your host for the show. D.C. Actually, we were talking about the snow. We actually got maybe three quarters of an inch before the rain and sleet washed it all away. So uh, I bring in Sam Klein, who's up in Boston. Sam, I know you got slammed. What's it like up there this morning?
1: More like three-quarters of a foot here, depending on exactly where you're standing on the sidewalk or on a field. So I was out this morning with the dog. We were prancing around in the snow. It was a lot of fun and excited to get back out again at some point later today.
0: Yeah, that's that's also and and we also have Jason Evans here. Jason lives in Atlanta, so he doesn't get to participate in the snow uh, part of this podcast. But uh, luckily, he's here what, what is here to talk some basketball.
2: What Jason. is this snow that you speak of? I'm not familiar with this thing.
0: <laughs> hey, I wish I had snow. You you're in, you're in the dark, man. You you have to come to the coldness of the snow. It's great, but I digress. This is the Duke Basketball Report podcast, not the Duke Snow podcast. Uh, we'll probably talk about snow later, but let's get after the basketball. Duke men's basketball traveled to South Bend last night to face the Notre Dame fighting Irish. It was the regular season opener for the ACC. We were without Jalen Johnson, who was out because of the undisclosed foot injury, but Duke played pretty well and beat the Irish 75 65. It's the seventh straight victory against the Irish. Uh, as we like to do, guys, we're going to start with the headline a one to two sentence summation. Of what we saw last night. Sam, you're up first.
1: No Jalen Johnson, no problem for Duke because there was it, it seemed like the Blue Devils weren't missing anything last night against Notre Dame. They took a a comfortable lead early and were able to hold on to it throughout the entire contest.
0: Sounds good, Jason.
2: Shoot well, don't turn the ball over and kill them on the boards. That's a formula for success.
0: That's a great headline. Uh, it's, it's like you're in journalism or something <laughs> for me, <laughs> for me, it's Duke shooting improves Duke wins by stepping up and playing like Duke. Very simple. Uh, so we're going to start with the good. Luckily, we have quite a bit to talk about from this game. The most important positive from this game. We'll start with you, Jason.
2: Uh, the most important thing I saw, uh, I really think it was some stuff that we saw on offense, and uh, the, the first thing of that is the Matthew Hurt fadeaway. Um, th- this was yet another game where Matthew Hurt sort of struggled shooting from from the perimeter. He's 0 of 2 on three-pointers. And I think someone said that he's now 1 of 11 on three-pointers against Power 5 teams, against, you know, legit, you know, big-time major conference opponents and, and newsflash. That is all we will be playing for the rest of the season is major conference opponents. So Hurt is struggling from the perimeter, but but boy, that, that – fadeaway that he has is a real weapon late in the clock when we need a bucket that is our go-to move we go to Matthew Hurt quite often in the post and he just he backs you down a little bit and then shoots a fadeaway and it seems to be an incredibly effective shot so to me that was a big 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 deal The, the other thing is we continue to see the offensive emergence of Jeremy Roach uh, he's five of six from the field in the game he starts out four or four from the field. He hits a couple of three pointers. He scores 14 points. Uh, he is, he is clearly the guy in this team that is most comfortable with the ball in his hand, which is a, which is a big deal. We don't have a lot of guys who can create on their own. Now I, I was, I was disappointed. He had zero assists. And when we get to the bad news, spoiler alert, I'm going to be talking about assists when we get to the bad news, but for the good news, uh, I, I think Jeremy Roach's continued ability to put the ball in the hole, to, to get to places where he can be effective is really important. And then, uh, you know, his, his running mates, this three-guard offense that, that looks like it's going to be Duke's best offense. Jer- uh, Jordan Goldwire, Jeremy Roach, and DJ Stewart working together. Those, those three guys combined to score almost 40 points, um, and, and they were very efficient from the field. You know, I, I think that was perhaps the biggest development in this game is the the settling of those three as the three guys who are dominating the Duke backcourt.
1: I want to start with the turnovers. I talked about at the beginning of the season that I'm going to be watching turnovers throughout the year. And here are great numbers from this game. Duke only turned the ball over eight times. That's the fewest turnovers they've had in a game so far this season. Their turnover percentage was 11.4%. That's their lowest turnover percentage for the season. It's a little bit better than they did against Michigan state and much better than they did against Illinois, where it was, it was over 20%. So a much better showing on handling the basketball helped a little bit by the fact that Notre Dame plays a slightly slower style and we were we were slowing it down with Notre Dame and and Duke is also playing uncharacteristically slow for uh for a Duke team at least here early in the season their tempo is a lot lower on the national ranking than than it usually is so the the turnovers was the first thing for me i was very impressed with that on the defensive side i liked that duke was able to hold a an attacking offensive team to a low scoring output, even considering the the slow tempo, it's not that Notre Dame was what was bad at shooting, but the Duke wasn't letting them get a lot of shots and not letting them get a lot of offensive rebounds. And I know that Jason loves talking about field goal attempts. I feel like this is a, a great place to highlight. Hey, that don't Duke had it. Way don't more it field me. goal attempts. <laughs> oh, go ahead. No, I, 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 I fine. Why don't you talk about the the field goal attempts? I
2: thought that was a key for Duke last night. Yeah, so Duke had 60 field goal attempts and Notre Dame had 49. Look, that's 11 more chances that we had to score. I mean, not surprising that you win a game. I, I say it all the time. Field goal attempts are a great sort of amalgamation of not making turnovers and getting offensive rebounds. Um, and conversely getting defensive rebounds that the, that the opposition doesn't get a chance at an offensive rebound, get a chance at another field goal. When, when you get 11 more field goal attempts than the other team, you're almost always going to win the game. But, but I'll, I'll let you continue. I, I did want to add really, really real quick one, one thing on defense. I, I, I'm glad you brought it up. I, I was incredibly impressed with our active hands on defense. Um, uh, Goldwire, Roach, Stewart, and Baker – and and Wendell Moore, I all saw those guys at various points knocking balls away that led to turnovers. Um, and I thought Wendell Moore's help defense, especially around the basket, there were some there were some tight moments in the second half when it was like a five seven point game and and Duke fans were nervous. I was nervous. And Wendell Moore made a couple really good help defensive plays. Uh, you know, I, I know we're excited about the offense, but I thought there were some key defensive moments and Wendell Moore showed his value in that in those times. And,
1: not all turnovers are created equally. As you pointed out, Jason, there were turnovers where Duke was able to steal the ball away and then go right down to the basket and score two points. Turning the ball over where you like knock it off the other player and it goes out of bounds, then you have to set up a whole new offensive possession. That might be worth one point, but being able to knock it away into the open floor and, and, and just going back to the basket is was key for Duke last night. So they only forced 12 turnovers, but they got a lot of points off of
0: it. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about. I think the most important thing was that our our shooting improved. We shot 51.7% from the floor as a team, 53.3% from three. We made all five of our free throws. I know that is my stat. We didn't get to the line that much, but we knocked down the free throws when we got them. A lot of guys had great shooting nights. We had four guys in double figures, and I like the way we responded as a team. I, I will shift over to the defensive part to say this. Notre Dame only had 23 rebounds last night. That is an amazing stat. 23 rebounds. I mean, in the given course of a game, there's going to be more than 23 shots missed. And the fact that we had 33 rebounds, and they had 23. Some of those were basically turnovers. I mean, one and out and we're gone going down the floor to the other end. We outscored them on, on the fly uh, quite a bit. I think we doubled their output uh, in points in the, uh, points on points uh, in transition. So that is what we like that's what we've been talking about all season. That's what the coaching staff has said that they've wanted to do. That's what the players have said they wanted to do. And we got to see a lot of that last night.
1: One more guy that I wanted to highlight specifically is Jamin Brakefield. And I don't know how many times we've now said that we didn't expect a ton out of him before the season started, but he's really become an important part of the rotation here for Duke. When we were talking before this game about, who's going to need to step up, who's going to get an opportunity with Jalen Johnson out. I think that Jamin Breakfield took a ton of advantage of that. 24 minutes last night, got 10 points on eight shots and didn't turn the ball over in, in all of that time. That's a veteran glue guy type of, of performance for Breakfield. And by the way, two for two from three. So a, a very impressive night for him. He looked really poised and and like he really belonged On this team, and this is not something we expected from him. So I feel like if we're trying to answer the question from yesterday of who's going to get the most benefit from Jalen Johnson being out and who's going to step up,
2: I think it was Jamin Brakefield. Yeah, there's no question about that. He was so confident on offense, and he seemed pretty creative in the way he was hunting for his shot. You know, trying to uh, he, it didn't always work. There were some shots he took that I was like, eh, you know, maybe not but that. But he would he like he like
1: drove baseline from the corner and 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 yeah, would, would come from the top of the key. Like he was doing stuff that I did not realize was in his skill set. At least at the college level, might he might have been able to pull that off in high school. But I'm surprised he was able to do it here early in ACC play in his freshman year.
2: And I will add that I fully believe at this point, our best lineup um, is Goldwire, Roach, DJ Stewart, Matthew Hurt, and Jamin Brakefield. I think there's a little question about that. That's the lineup that Coach K was playing down the stretch. Um, and, you know, look, obviously we need to see what happens when hopefully Jalen Johnson comes back. And and by the way, I'll I'll talk a little bit more about what Coach K had to say about Jalen uh, Johnson's injury, you know, in just a little bit. I'm going to get to some of the postgame comments, but um, – I even wonder if that may be, if that lineup with Jamin Breakfield, not Jalen Johnson may be our best lineup, even once Jalen Johnson comes back. Um, and and I also wanted to add really quickly, you know, another guy that we haven't mentioned is Mark Williams, who who didn't play a lot of minutes and we're still looking for him to get more and more, but he had a couple really nice hook shots in the lane. Looked, you know, looked like he knew what he was doing taking those shots and, and hit them with with confidence um, he, he also does a nice job distributing the ball when he gets it. He's a good passer for a big man. And, his and he's length, active. He's yeah, active. Yes. And his length causes problems at both ends of the floor. I'm hoping we'll see more and more of of, of him moving forward.
0: So the last thing I want to mention as part of the good, I mean, like, like I mentioned, there's a lot of goods we can take from this game. There's a quote from DJ Stewart that he had in his post-game press conference, which Jason, I know you were able to sit in on. Uh, and he talked about the fact we've talked about how we've struggled with physicality. We've struggled against two teams in Illinois and Michigan state that were very physical and, and had veteran leadership. And, and we are just a very young team. Stewart had a very good quote. He said, coach K what he said tonight was that we played like veterans. We went out there and stuck with it. We knew they weren't going to get go away and they were going to hit shots. We just had to stick with it and play defense and let it lead to our offense. And I think that summed up greatly what they improved on. We asked them, you know, if, if you know, I know they listened to this podcast, but we said, Hey, they need to improve their physicality. They need to improve that to play like veterans, even though they're not a veteran laden team. And it seems like at least in coach's eyes, they did that last night. There were definitely times where they remained poised and a poise that we haven't seen yet this season where, you know, when the chips were down, we'll talk about those in a, in a minute. But I do like that when the chips were kind of going against them and they were kind of stuck in a couple of ruts, they, b- they bounced out of it. They were f- able to find a way to, to get that. Uh, get the momentum back on their side and keep the game going. They never trailed in this game. There was points where we are like, oh, well, you know, they're going to catch up and it's eventually going to be a tie ball game. But Duke never wavered, and, and these guys st- stepped up and, and played like Duke. Uh, that's exactly what my headline was.
2: I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned DJ Stewart. Did you guys notice who led us in rebounding? It was DJ, DJ Stewart. Stewart. I, I mean, that kid, his ability, his movement on the floor, if you're a young basketball player, and you want to get better. Watch the way that DJ Stewart is constantly moving on the floor. It creates opportunities for him on offense. And it allows him to be really active and go after rebounds. I, I we said earlier in the season, I, I pointed it out, I was like, this kid, I bet he's going to get a tremendous number of rebounds for a, you know, for a 160 pound, you know, nothing. It's, he's so small but he gets in there and gets rebounds. It, it's really impressive. And I just think, you know, tip of the cap to him as we finish off our good stuff. I just wanted to note his excellence in rebounding.
0: So I will uh, move on to the bad. You know, we always have cake before, but we definitely have to have our vegetables. Uh, I will start with the significant negative from last night for me. It was while we never trailed in this game, I know we just talked about that. We do still have lapses at the beginning of the second half where we feel, I feel like we come out flat. And at one point, as you mentioned, Jason, the league struck down to five. It was around the 1043 mark because we had a couple minutes where we just weren't sharp on 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 the offensive end. uh, And we let them creep back into it uh, on defense. So uh, we did a much better job of handling that. But I want to see us come out of the gates in the second half a little more polished and really just ready to just take the game from the other team, just you know, because again, we've been flattened by this and two losses so far this season. We've come out flat. The other team took advantage of it. They never look back. I want to see that happen for us down the road. Uh, we have a couple weeks off where they can think about that. But against Pitt, I want them to come out, especially in that second half, and just stick it to the Panthers. Really, really like just dig into them. Any momentum or any thought they had of catching up in the game disappears in the first four minutes. I think uh, there's a
1: little bit of this team not having. It's not that they don't collectively have the killer instinct it's that none of the guys are are fully comfortable being that dude because Wendell Moore and Matthew hurt last year were used to being second fiddle to to the bigger stars on the team and none of the freshmen, particularly with Jalen Johnson out are comfortable being that dude either because they're not the top rated guy in the class now, DJ Stewart was the best player on his high school team. Jeremy Roach, they were talking about being Virginia, Mr. Basketball. But they know that when they come to Duke, they're going to be surrounded by other guys like that. And I think it's just taking time for some of the freshmen to get used to not just the the speed of the game, but taking over the game. So, Donald, I saw the same thing and hope that that kind of killer instinct develops a little more as the season goes on. Because, as you always say, Duke is often if not always, the more talented team on the floor. So they need to they need to prove that in those moments and just put the game away. For me, the the one bad news that I wanted to highlight is Henry Coleman not getting to to play in this game and, and us not getting to see him. I really wish that that there was more of an opportunity for him. We haven't heard a ton about exactly why he's not getting minutes, but it is going against our expectations from the beginning of the season when we thought look, he's not going to play 20 minutes a game, but we sort of expected to see him for eight, 10 minutes. And we did see Patrick depay and Mark Williams for limited minutes last night. So why not Henry Coleman?
0: Yeah, I will say uh, back to your comment about the killer instinct. I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, some people just think it's, it's something that you're born with. It's innate. Uh, it can be acquired. And this team doesn't have it yet. As you mentioned, I think they're starting to inch into it, but also, you know, I think we do have some guys that kind of have that killer instinct. I mean, think about it. One of the most important sh- you know, alley-oops in Duke history was by Wendell Moore last year at UNC. He, he has some killer instinct in that regards. We just have to see it more often, but also at the same time, it doesn't have to be when we're down, down two and trying to catch up and have that kind of killer. It's, it's great, you know, when we go back to days of old, we talk about, you know, 2001 teams and, and teams past where that killer instinct was in the first half and we would go up 30 and we're like, yo, they're not catching up. They're not getting beyond 30. So those sort of things is what we want to see them acquire over the next few weeks.
2: And, and I'll say this about killer instinct. And I mentioned earlier, you know, the Matthew Hurt fadeaway. I think that Matthew Hurt wants the ball. Uh, when, when there's a key oh that movement. was clear
0: last night yeah Very he clear. he
2: wanted the ball and he was confident that he was going to to make the shot and he and virtually every time he did um I, you know is that exactly killer instinct I think it comes comes pretty close he's developing into that we are seeing Matthew Hurt grow as a as a basketball player more and more with every game and that's a really important thing for Duke
1: and by the way. That's what we expected from Matthew Hurt coming into the season because we heard about how many shots he was getting up last summer and how he wants to be more of a scorer. This yep. fits with exactly what we thought Matthew Hurt was going to develop into. He needs to be
2: a shooter. He needs to be a scorer for this team. Okay, but, but remember, by the way, <laughs> we are in the bad news portion of the, uh, of the recap, so I, I do have a little bit of bad news. First one is, um, I don't know if you all noticed, but Dane Goodwin just scored again, and he just scored again. That, that kid, we we should have done a better job of identifying the player that Notre Dame was relying on, and it was clearly Dane Goodwin. He had an incredible game. By the way, if if he doesn't play well for them, then we do blow them out of the building. Um, but uh, there were times in the second half where he was getting baskets, and I was th- saying, why are we helping off of this guy? Why are we focusing on anyone but him? On, on the defensive end of the floor. We need to be stopping the guy who's killing us. And Dane Goodwin, was he just scored again. Uh, you know, that kid, uh, incredible game, and we should have identified it better. My other bad news is uh, I mentioned assists. We only had eight assists on 31 ma- made field goals. We are still not doing a good job of creating, with passing, easy scoring opportunities. We did most of our easy scoring op- easy scoring opportunities off the dribble not a terrible thing we had an efficient night you know we had a we had a good offensive night in fact arguably you know in terms of efficiency probably our best game of the season but I'd like to see that assist number get a lot closer to 50 percent of our made field goals right now you know we're down at less than a third and and that could be a problem on a night where you're not hitting a lot of threes and not getting a lot of offensive rebounds which we were last night and then the last two bad news things I had the first one is Patrick to Got the start, but I didn't think he looked all that comfortable out there. He didn't look fluid. Um, I I just wonder if he's really athletic enough to succeed against ACC-level competition. Uh, I'm glad he got the start, and I'm glad he's getting chances, and I hope it comes together for him, but I didn't see a lot that encouraged me last night. And then the last thing is, I am dying. Please, can Joey Baker and Wendell Moore break out a little bit? We know they're capable of it. Uh, Joey Baker, uh, he has one three pointer made on the entire season. Uh, it, it we're we're five games in now. I, I would have put that number, I would have put a bare minimum that he would have five three pointers made at this, you know, one per game. He's he's only not
1: qualifying for the for the stats game championship at this point because he doesn't yeah. have
2: enough threes. It's crazy. He he's he's just one for nine on three pointers. And he's it's not that he's not getting enough time. He's he's playing 10, 15 minutes per game. Um so and, and Wendell Moore, again, you know, had trouble with turnovers and, you know, wasn't scoring buckets. I said he had a good impact on defense and he and he did. And, uh, you know, but both these guys are going to play. They need to play. And this Duke team will be so much better when they are better on offense. I don't know what it's going to take. I know they're both capable of it. Um, and, and maybe that's a good thing, you know, because at some point in the future, they'll get better on offense. And when that happens, along with Roach and Stewart uh, and Breakfield playing the way they're playing, this Duke team's going to be really good.
0: Wendell Moore only had nine minutes last night. That's not a good sign when it comes to the slump that he's in. Hopefully he breaks out of it soon. Okay, guys, since we don't have a game for another couple of weeks, I want to see what the takeaway is. I know we did this a couple of weeks ago, but now that we don't have, we have a sort of break, we can talk about the one thing we want to see taken from this game and applying it to the rest of the games going forward. So Sam, I'll go to you first. What do you think that takeaway is?
1: Defense turning into offense was the big one for me. I know we we forced only 12 turnovers from Notre Dame, but we talked about how those turnovers led to baskets, and that's the easiest way for this Duke team to score. They're pretty athletic on the wing and in the interior, so I hope that they take this game tape and say, aggressive defense. Traditional Duke style, disrupting passing lanes, getting the ball and, and taking it to the other end and making the defense regret or making the opponent regret that they were careless with the ball.
2: I think that is the way that Duke is going to win games this season. And, and my takeaway is, is sort of the exact opposite, but it plays off of that. I, I want to see us keep the turnovers down on our offensive end of the floor. We only had eight this game. We've talked about that. It was so important. Duke has struggled with offensive efficiency. Um, If we keep our turnovers down, if we continue to rebound well, if we find good shots, and, and I talked about I want more assists, but just find good shots, guys. That is why Duke succeeded against Notre Dame. That's what I want to see moving forward.
0: So for me, I think you saw a team last night that played like they saw the light at the end of the tunnel. And that light at the end of the tunnel is they get to have a mental break. So my takeaway is for Duke to bring clear minds back to Durham when they come back from that break in a week or so, it sounds easy to say, right? But we've struggled at home so far this season. And I think mental health, uh, just the the fact that they've been in a bubble has a lot to do with it. We talked about it on the last couple of episodes. I hope that this holiday break is enjoyable for them. One, one that they're able to recharge and get re-energized so they can come back to campus And I hope this balances balances the team a little bit. It's also good to leave on a high note with the win before you go off for the holidays. So uh, uh, my best to them. And hopefully all those guys are able to enjoy their time away. And it gives them the the mental break that they need to refocus in for the long haul because the ACC season is a long haul. We got 19 more games to go. So guys, I know we've talked about the game, but Jason, I know after the game uh, was the traditional press conference and you were on uh, the Zoom to uh, hear from Coach K, uh, Matthew Hurt, and DJ Stewart. So tell us a little bit about what you heard uh, from those guys last night, late after the press conference.
2: Yeah. So the most significant, I'll just give you the the headlines, the most significant things that I heard. First, uh, Matthew Hurt, the, the thing that he said that I noticed was he was asked, who, who has stepped up? He was asked by me. <laughs> who, who has stepped up since uh, Jalen Johnson went down? And and he said it's it's been Jamin Breakfield. Um, he said in practice Jamin has been really good, and then we then saw that translated onto the uh, onto the court. Um, so uh, you know, I, I thought for Matt to point that out was, was a big deal. Uh, DJ Stewart, um, the thing that he said that really I thought was interesting. Notre Dame allowed some fans to be in the stands. It wasn't like Cameron, where there's no one there. There weren't a lot of fans. You know, it was a, a smattering. They, they keep them very socially distant. It was a really...
0: football team and like a couple of parents, I think.
2: Yeah, but DJ noticed. He said we were aware there are fans in the stands, and and it helped with the energy of being in the arena, which I thought was a really interesting comment. I I'm not saying that Duke should. Should change things around and allow people in the stands because I know that that's a dangerous thing to do and and health professionals who know a heck of a lot more about this than I do are the ones who should make those kind of decisions. But I was intrigued with the fact that DJ Stewart said, you know what, it helped us with our energy to have people there.
0: I mean, it's it, it is interesting, but it makes sense, right? You gave them a little taste. And once you yeah. get a taste of something, you like it, you're like, yo, let's let's have more of it. So I, I'm not surprised that they, you know, saw the fans in the stands and they're like, oh, it'd be great. I know this. Oh, there's a, the football teams there. They're playing Clemson on Saturday. Let's let's okay. let them know right now what a loss feels like. I know they haven't experienced it all year, but we could give them a taste right now. And I think that taste is like, yeah, give me more of that.
1: One of the shames about this season is that if any of the freshmen leave after this year, like I think we generally expect Jalen Johnson to leave. It's possible he's going to go his whole Duke, his short, but entire Duke career, not playing in front of the Cameron crazies. And don't be surprised if at the end of the season, when DJ Stewart and Jeremy Roach are making the same decision, but they're, you know, I haven't looked at the draft projections, but I imagine that they're lower on the draft projections than than Jalen Johnson is when they're making those decisions, don't be surprised if they come back and say, look, I thought about going, I thought about staying. I was, I would, I could kind of see both ways, but I really wanted the opportunity to be in Cameron and play in front of the crazies, which I'll get to do next year when they're all vaccinated and not this year because they're not allowed to. So keep an eye on that.
2: Well, I, I think that that'd be a great reason to want to come back to do. I, I make I would it so that. please
0: <laughs> stop. Just make it. So don't say anything else. <laughs> wish this into existence.
2: There we go. And so uh, I'll I'll close my post game comments, talking about what coach K had to say. Uh, He mentioned that canceling the Charleston Southern game gave us more prep time and that the team really responded to that prep time. He said they got better tonight. They're getting more comfortable playing together. Um, You could tell that he really feels encouraged by what he's seen in practice lately. And the fact that it translated onto the floor, he talked a lot about the three guard combination that, that, uh, Jordan Goldwire and Jeremy Roach play really well together and that DJ Stewart feeds off of that. So I thought that was a fascinating comment from him. Um, and then lastly, it, two really quick things. He said uh, that Jalen Johnson is in a boot right now. He will be evaluated in two to three weeks. Co- Coach K made it clear they don't expect him to be back in two to three weeks. So I think we're looking at something somewhat prolonged form. Re-evaluating in two to three weeks does not mean you're out there playing again in two to three weeks. I think we're looking at you know, hopefully mid January, maybe late January before we get him back, which which is really unfortunate. And then the last thing coach K commented on Jim Phillips being the new name, the new commissioner of the ACC. I didn't know this guys, Jim Phillips and coach K went to the same high school. They went to the school Weber in Chicago and coach K commented that, you know, you know, they, they, they've sort of known each other a little bit because of that. And, and K said that we stole something from the big 10. The Jim Phillips is a really, uh, you know, incredible uh, commissioner, and 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 Coach K seemed very, very pleased with the with the selection.
0: I told you, I told you on the last show that that the Big Ten people were like, "Dang, they got one from us," and and it turns out we did. Okay, guys, we will pause here for a quick break. On the other side, we will give out Player of the Week awards. We will talk about what made the NCAA make a bunch of players available to play right now. And the first Duke program hits the pause due to COVID. Stick around to see which program that is. Okay, guys, we're staying in the ACC, but we're expanding to all sports now. Yesterday, the NCAA decided mid-afternoon to have all transfers in all sports immediately eligible to play for their new teams due to the coronavirus pandemic. That, of course, doesn't mean much for the fall sports whose seasons have largely been completed. But for basketball, it meant several players were able to immediately be available to play for their teams. Trey Wirtz, a player who transferred to Notre Dame this year, played 21 minutes against Duke last night. And if you remember former guard Alex O'Connell, who transferred to Creighton after this past season, he will be eligible to make his debut for the Blue Jays when they play at St. John's tonight. So Sam, I want to bring you in. Tell me what you think about this news to make all transfers immediately eligible.
1: Look, if we're going to put everybody in danger and having them play basketball when the CDC says not to, why not let them all actually play? They're going to be in the arena and they're going to be around it anyway. So let them play. I think everyone sort of acknowledges that. This season is a little weird and different and it counts, obviously, but it doesn't count in exactly the same way. So I'm fine with it because everything's getting disrupted. So you might as well let the let the players play. I understand why we have the the transfer sit-out rule in place, but I, I'm I'm okay that there are a lot of exceptions to it and that generally we err on the side of players want to transfer because of whatever reason and they should just be allowed to to play after doing that without having some kind of penalty so i'm in favor of this
2: so uh in addition to trey Wirtz, uh a couple other acc teams got got new players including miami who picked up uh, uh elijah Olaniyi. i think that's it Olaniyi. Olaniyi. Olani. Olani. okay He'd played at Stony Brook in the past, and, and not only was he made instantly eligible, he was made an instant starter. He started for them last night and played 37 minutes. Um, unfortunately, he didn't play very well. He was only 2 of 12 from the field, 0 of 7 on 3. But, I mean, you can see how this transfer rule is making an immediate impact on, on several teams. Um, and uh, the interesting thing is, if I understand it correctly, guys could transfer right now. And be instantly. I mean, essentially, we are in the instant free agency moment in college basketball. Um, and I'm not saying that Duke would do this, but it would not be crazy for for a team that you know maybe needed some help in some way to go out and poach a player off a, of, you know, uh, if you're a high major team to go to a mid major or a low major and just poach a player right away because that guy can come in and literally play for you that afternoon. Obviously, you'd need some time to work him into the rotation stuff, but I, it is possible. You will see some guys moving around, you know, usually December, this time of year. We we see some guys transferring. Um, you know, when they're not satisfied with their role, we may see even more of that because everyone recognizes they are instantly eligible. They could transfer today and play tomorrow.
0: So that's an interesting point uh, because, I mean, if you think about it, there are some programs that we're on December 17th. There are some programs in college basketball that have still not played a basketball game. So there could be guys.
2: DePaul hasn't played a single game yet. A single game.
0: None of the Ivy Leagues have played yet. Like those. So you could have some instances where, and, and I'm not saying those teams, the Ivy Leagues, for example, but like, you know, there could be a team where a player is just like absolutely incensed that he's not getting to play. Because their team is pausing every three days and he could transfer to a school where their COVID priorities are in check, you know, so you could see that happen. But I do say this about this transfer deal, and I do think it's a great thing to do, but if you give a mouse a cookie, the mouse will ask what ingredients are in the cookie, because we don't have a lot of answers on what this means. Like, will we see a lot of transfers during the holiday season? Does this stretch into next season for fall sports like football, who've already completed their seasons? So everyone's getting a season back because of COVID, but do players in the fall sports get another one back on top of it? Or a semester? Will winter sports get you know get the half semester back because they missed the fall portion of the season? So there's still a lot of questions that people are already asking, but I do think this eventually leads to the NCAA. They did mention this in their statement, that they're going to consider having all transfers get one free pass when it comes to transfers where they can play immediately one time. Uh, They can't do, you know, transfer several times and play immediately each stop, but the first stop they can play immediately. So we'll see if it leads to that in the meantime, it does mean that at least for basketball, a a slew of people were uh, both men's men's and women's basketball were eligible last night to play and they made impacts on their teams.
2: And Donald, it doesn't connect directly to your transfer thing, but but to another point you were making, I said DePaul hasn't played yet. They are not alone. There are 29, 29 Division One teams that are yet to play a single game. Now, uh, you know, a, a dozen or so of those are in the Ivy League, but there are plenty of teams, including, uh, you know, I mentioned DePaul, Vermont. Vermont is supposed to be a pretty good team this year. They're, they're, Ken Palm has them in the top 100, even though their record is zero and zero. There are several other teams that are supposed to be pretty good teams Temple hasn't played a game yet. Siena hasn't played a game yet. They they're the Siena's probably the best team in the MAC. They am not the MAC, the MAAC, the MAC. The MWAC and Siena hasn't played a single game yet. Um, uh, so the, these these schools are out there and yeah, I, I I both don't know what they're going to do in terms of trying to get games played and I also don't know you may be right that some of these players say I'm going to go someplace where I can actually play in a basketball game because now's the moment to do it.
0: We're going to shift to women's basketball. And while you all out there know we hate talking about this pandemic and its effects on college sports, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that Duke women's basketball was forced to pause team activities yesterday due to a couple of positive COVID cases within the program. They had already postponed a game last Sunday against Miami. They have now postponed games against NC state and UNC Wilmington as well, while they try to get everything clear and get free of this virus. And I will say it's, it's, it's a shame because the care era had been off to a pretty good start. The three and one on the season, they pummeled teams that they're supposed to Longwood, Western Carolina and East Carolina. They were outmatched by Louisville, but they have some really good players and I've seen uh, all their games so far. They've had some really nice performances and Duke as a whole across the athletics has been very methodical with their approach to COVID. We've talked about it in the past. They've gone several months without a positive single test. It's been quite lucky on top of all the precautions that they've taken. It seems like that luck has run out for Duke women's basketball. So we hope everyone is on the mend very soon. We hope they're able to stem this mini outbreak on the team and get back to playing basketball. But uh, it is a shame that the care era has started out so well and now has to take a pause. It
1: speaks to Duke's commitment to keeping everything going correctly. I think that, as excited as we were for the men's team to be tipping off and, and playing games this season, hardcore Duke fans are probably even more excited to see how Kara Lawson was going to do as the, as the head coach. So uh, it's a shame that they have to pause, but you know, they'll, they'll get through it. They'll come back and, and hopefully they'll, they'll continue having a strong season.
0: Absolutely. And with that, we will move on to back to men's basketball. We have to conclude with our player of the week awards, we're only considering the Notre Dame game because that's the only game we had this week. So Sam, go back to you for the honors. Who is your player of the week?
1: I think there are a lot of guys you could pick for this one. And I hope that we'll get to highlight a few of them. I'm going to take Jeremy Roach because he, this is probably the best game that we've seen from him so far in a Duke uniform. And you know, the, the scoring was great for him. I think we were starting to see the Jeremy Roach that we expected before the season started. And, and this is just the beginning for him. So I'm going to take Jeremy Roach.
2: I mean, there are really like four different guys that you could go with here. I'm, I'm going to pick Matthew hurt, you know, partially because I haven't picked him so far this year and, and you guys already have. So, so I want to give Matthew hurt a, a tip of the cap. He led the team in minutes played. Um, I, I thought he was good at both ends of the floor. You know, quite often he was the biggest guy on the floor. For Duke and and that's not something he's really used to but he seemed to, to do just fine in and, it And like we said earlier the fact that he was willing and eager to take the shot when Duke had big moments in the game Really speaks volumes to me. So even though I, I really want to mention I thought breakfield roach And and dj stewart all deserve consideration for this. Matthew hurt is my player of the game and player of the week
0: For the first time, we each pick a different player. I think that goes to what you were just saying, Jason, about many guys having great performances. I'm going with DJ Stewart. 16 points, led the team with seven rebounds, two key steals, three of four from three-point land, and on top of everything, I thought he was just an energizer for us. He had a couple of of lay-ins, especially that one-and-one that was the play of the day according to Duke basketball uh, that really sparked our team. He played extremely well, and at times I thought he led the team with his offense and his defense. So that is my pick. Uh, Again, we are putting this on the forums for uh, uh, each week. And Jason's been great to update that with our picks. If you have picks, post in the forum under that chat so we can see uh, who you thought, the player of the week was uh, and because for us, it was three, it was a three headed race. And I think there could be more that could be added to that list.
2: Yeah. You know, I feel terrible. We've gone through this whole podcast and we really haven't spoken about Jordan Goldwire at all. And I thought he had a very, very steady game. He's showing the kind of leadership that you would expect out of a senior. Um, it's like, he's a guy who, who really knows how to pick his spots, and, and knows where to take advantage of the other team. And, and he's always going to play good defense. So I feel awful. I mean, now we've mentioned everybody at the team, I think. But I really <laughs> wanted just to say Jordan Goldbar is playing better.
0: One final stat that I had, uh, Duke in its last 38 losses have come back in that next game. They are 33-5. and five. Uh, in those games. So uh, I think that is testament to just being able to rela uh, to, to, you know, recap and re and re energize and reboost. But I also think uh, coach K alluded to it, that because of the Charleston Southern game being canceled. They had a chance to focus in on Notre Dame and really hone in on the things that they knew were going to get them over the hump in South Bend. I thought the team did very well in that. We've talked about all the all the accolades that they deserve. Uh, hopefully, they have a great break and uh, continue this uh, when they come back from that break. And that will do it for episode 262 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Now that we have walked into ACC season, we will have a full preview of the ACC at some point You know when there's more news, uh, especially over these next couple of weeks. But until then, don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to rate and review. And if you have questions or comments, we always love hearing from our listeners. podcast at gmail.com is where you can reach us. That's it. Episode 262 is a wrap for Sam and Jason. I am Donald. Please allow the Duke band play you into
1: it wonderful thing Who's hosting Hello. Oh I am Hope oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, wait, am I hosting? Wait, so I was like, is Perfect it my
1: timing.
0: turn?
1: On a Zoom, a Zoom, we're all looking at each other constantly. So yeah. it could be, it <laughs> could be me. And I just don't know. It's me. It's me.
3: videos it's people like you and me it's community it's incredible trainers it's easy to follow nutrition and mindset experts to help you reduce stress and just feel better and you can get started with my new program called for beginners only now here's the big surprise if you go to body.com right now that's b-o-d-i.com not only can you get everything body has to offer at 50 percent off with an annual membership you'll also get an additional 20 percent off but only during labor day weekend Let's do this together. Go to body.com. That's body with an I